Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you audit your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. America and happy Sunday. Yep, the Sunday brunch edition of John Solomon Reports is here. We've got a great lineup today. I'm very excited. Some new guests who've never been on the show before, as well as some great returning guests. We're going to kick the show off today with Victoria Coates with the world of flame the way it is. We want to have some sense made of it. Robert Greenway did a good job of that earlier in the week. Victoria Coates is going to bookend it with some more great national security thinking about the state of the world, the threat of terrorism on our soil, what happens in Russia, Ukraine, Israel, Hamas. We're going to get all that covered at the top of the show. And then we're going to have a very long and extended conversation with a Hollywood star. Michael Rappaport has been one of the great draws on the comedy tours for more than three decades. He's also been in so many great movies. Mia Solomon Sully. You've probably seen him in some of the great movies with Woody Allen. He's funny. He's witty. He's also outspoken, and he is using his stardom today to fight anti-Semitism, intolerance, hatred across the world, standing up for Jews, standing against genocide, against hatred, against discrimination, against anti-Semitism. He's going to join us in the second block, Michael Rappaport. You will not want to miss this interview. It's very powerful. We're really looking forward to that. Zachary Marshall is going to be here. He's always doing some great work on the front lines of watching your dollars, watching what's going on in the education system. We'll have him in the third block. Amber Duke from the Washington Spectator. She is one of the most keen reporters when it comes to covering the news media and its many foibles and failures. She's going to join us. We're going to have a good conversation. There was an AP story earlier this week. Remember, I used to work at the Associated Press for a long time, suggesting that poor President Gay at Harvard was a victim of a conservative conspiracy. She wasn't. She plagiarized and she failed to condemn anti-Semitism. But Amber Duke's going to tell us why AP went with one of the most controversial headlines of the week. We'll have that in the fourth block. And then we'll finish up with Roger Simon. He's a great columnist. You sometimes see him at the Epoch Times, political, other places. Talented screenwriter. He's done some great screenwriting. He's got a new book out 
on American refugees. And we're not talking about people coming across the world to America. We're talking about Americans fleeing blue states, fleeing high crime, high taxes, high inflation, insanity in policies, social engineering, and going to free states like Texas and Florida and other Republican states. Roger Simon with a provocative conversation. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll have that right after these messages. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome back, everybody. Over the last few weeks, while Congress has been away on another long recess, the news cycle certainly didn't slow down one bit. And that's because within the last few days alone, South Korea's opposition leader from their last election was stabbed in the neck while at an event. The death toll from Japan's devastating earthquake has risen to over 50. And two of the world's top terrorists have been killed. All of this taking place while Joe and Joe were vacationing at a billionaire's home in the Caribbean. How nice. Perhaps with all that's going on under the Biden administration, it's time for Billy Joel to remake his 1989 hit single, We Didn't Start the Fire, because I'm pretty sure Joe Biden did. Joining us to help piece the world back together one conflict at a time is the vice president of foreign policy at the Heritage Foundation and our good friend, Victoria Coates. Victoria, Happy New Year. Thank you for being here. Happy New Year to you, too. We uh, we we took a little bit of a vacation. You know, the news cycle doesn't really sleep, but we tried to slow down a little between Christmas and New Year's. But the conflict between Israel and Hamas certainly hasn't. And as I was driving to the studio today, I noticed gas prices creeping back up. You've got this uh, Iran warship that is back in the Red Sea or, or has entered the Red Sea. And I know that that's got to have something to do with it. But just give us kind of your top line view of where we are in this conflict, how much longer it's going to endure. Now, when everybody asked me if I was going to take time off over Christmas, I said it depended on the good behavior of the Houthi, and they're not particularly reliable in that department. So unfortunately, it was a little bit of a sporty holiday season for me for precisely the reasons you were laying out. Uh, For those of us who remember back to the spring of 2021, when the Ever Given, a container ship, got stuck in the Suez Canal for six days, causing all sorts of snarls and problems that went on for months, the minute Red Sea shipping was slowed down a couple of weeks ago because of all the Houthi attacks, those of us who were tracking that said, this is going to be a problem. And it predictably has been. And that that we've had so much, at least half of the shipping uh, has been diverted around Africa, adds 10 days to two weeks to a shipment. 
uh, which then causes all sorts of other unintended problems. This is Iran literally waging a terror war against commercial shipping, uh, global commercial shipping. And we've seen China say they will do nothing to help. We've seen the British and the French and the Italian and the Spanish say the Americans are not doing enough. And we've seen the Biden administration basically saying we don't want to do anything aggressive against the Houthi because we're still hoping to get some kind of a peace deal between the Houthi and the Saudis, uh, which is what Joe Biden campaigned on. And so he wants a diplomatic victory going into an election year. He doesn't really care about actually defending the pocketbooks of the American people, which is what's going to suffer if this goes on. Yeah, Nailed it's, it. it's so important. I don't think people understand the danger to the global economy that Iran now poses. And you were one of the first to sound the alarm back before Christmas. Uh, Victoria, I want to ask about the two strikes that um, Israel made in the last uh, 48 hours, took out one of the leaders of the raid on the kibbutz, uh, those horrible, horrific scenes. We saw the man who helped lead that. He was taken out yesterday. Today, one of the top Hamas leaders, the man who kind of formed the military branch of Hamas, he's taken out in an airstrike. Two big losses for Iran and Hamas. What does it mean for changing the, uh, the tone of the war right now? You know, the Israelis have been really, John, on an extraordinary program over the course of the last uh, few weeks, targeting these, this leadership for both Hamas and Hezbollah. So they're both striking in Gaza and they're striking in Beirut. And they are removing these key people. And it's very reminiscent of what President Trump did almost exactly three years ago in uh, January of 2020, January 6th. So the anniversary will come up, which is when Qasem Soleimani was eliminated. And you notice the Iranians are now talking about this again and the legacy of Qasem Soleimani. But what happened after President Trump took that decisive action is the Iranians were brushed back from their terrorist activities. They stopped for at least a year. And it was only after the Biden administration came in, they took the Houthi off the foreign terrorist organization list, this kind of action, this kind of appeasement, that they started pushing back against us again. So this is the kind of thing they understand. The Israelis understood it or understand it. President Trump understands it. This is this is how you handle them. You don't nobody wants to get into escalatory war in the Middle East. But if you don't stand up to them, they're going to keep bullying us. Yeah, such a absolutely. Um, Victoria, I wanted to ask you about the USS Gerald Ford that's going to be making its way back home from the Mediterranean Sea. This is a vessel that uh, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin de deployed shortly after the October 7th attack. So it's, I think, barely not even three months, really. And it was there to prevent the broadening of this conflict. Now, the Defense Department says that it coming back is right on schedule. This is something that they want it to come home so that they can prepare for future deployment. But um, it, has it accomplished what it was sent out there to do? And if not, couldn't they have disrupted the schedule a little? Well, that's the problem, Amanda, is, is this this war is not going to take place on the Pentagon schedule. And we have to be prepared with our carrier groups to be able to be nimble with them and move them around. The Ford is our most modern, our most recently uh, christened, uh, named for, obviously for, for President Gerald R. R. Ford, who was a great Navy hero, as well as being the president who came in after after Watergate and pretty much put the country back together uh, in, in a very, very difficult time, which is in some ways helpful for us to remember what went on in the 1970s. We came through it. We got to Reagan. We can do it again. 
Uh, but to pull the Ford out right now, because the Ford was not just there supporting Israel, the Ford was also technically supposed to be there in the eastern Mediterranean to support Ukraine and our, you know, our efforts there. And so when you say it's it's coming home, uh, it means you're not actually going to be doing any of these things anymore in that theater. And sure, we still have the Eisenhower, which is down in the Gulf of, of uh, Aden, basically down at the base of the Red Sea. But we don't have that extra capacity up in the eastern Mediterranean anymore. And I think to have the Iranians sail their ship, the Aberids, into the Red Sea, not unprecedented, but certainly noteworthy, as we are seeing the Gerald Ford steam west, you know, that's not a great message to send. Yeah, a lot of people were concerned about that in the military that I talked with over the last couple of days. Another thing I keep hearing, Victor, and I want to ask you about this because it's more loud now than I've heard it in a long time, uh, the possibility that Iran is at the doorstep of a nuclear weapon. And there are two scenarios we hear. The first is, hey, they're in violation of the JCPOA. They uh, have enough fissure material. They could probably make uh, a small nuclear weapon very, very soon, maybe way ahead of the timetable we originally thought. The second thing we hear is, is they're so cash rich now with all the oil sales that Joe Biden, they could just go out and buy uh, some sort of a nuclear weapon on the marketplace. Could you handicap those two uh, very uh, those possibilities and how concerning they ought to be to the security establishment in Washington? Oh, this is a, this is probably our top notch immediate concern right now. Obviously, China is always a concern. But the notion that the Iranian regime could change their existing calculus, which is what we understood during the Trump administration, which is they were not going to make the decision to test a nuclear weapon because they were concerned about what the repercussions would be. What they've done for the now almost three years is increase their enrichment. They're now up to 60 percent. Everyone talks about how 90 percent is weapons grade. Well, that's ideal weapons grade. You can make a weapon at 60 percent. It's just not going to be, you know, your most most perfect nuclear weapon, but it's certainly enough to be a big problem for the United States and our allies. So this is what they've spent the last three years doing while they uh -huh. were being engaged by the Biden administration in Vienna, technically in nuclear talks. They just kept enriching. They kept deploying more centrifuges. And now we're in this situation where the decision is in their hands, John. It's not in ours. Yeah, that's mm, not a good situation. Victoria, I wanted to ask you a question that, that I guess broader globally, because more than half of the world's population is going to be choosing a new leader or possibly keeping a world leader this year. It's not just us. And we've seen a number of candidates. You've got Javier Malay in Argentina around the same time, Geert uh, Wilders in the Netherlands, but also in Chile and El Salvador and Italy, a number of countries that are moving towards what the media describes as far right candidates and far right political leaders. What do you expect to happen this year in some of these global elections? And at the end of it, is the world going to look a little bit more democratic? Well, one would hope so. And I mean, you notice the media goes after anyone who's just like a little bit right of center and they're suddenly a huge threat to democracy. They had Malay on the cover of The Economist a couple of months ago saying, you know, is this the greatest threat to global democracy? Well, the other tribute that was just pl play played to Malay was that the head of the global communist party set came out and said he was the biggest foe to global communism. I was like, well, I would like that. Can I get on that magazine cover <laughs> uh, with that as my tagline? I, so, I mean, I think Malay is a huge opportunity. We have a President Pena in Paraguay, same thing, big potential mm -hmm. partner for the United States. And what we can't do is let these people be 
basically attacked by the global media the way, say, President Bolsonaro was in Brazil, demonized and make their political futures difficult. I think the United States needs to make it 100 percent clear we stand with these people. I mean, this is this is Maloney in Italy, as you point out, and in, uh, in the Netherlands. This is a huge plus to the uh, to American conservatives. These are good friends to us. And so right. this kind of shift to the global left that we keep being told is in, is inevitable is nothing of the sort. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. Michael Rappaport, the great comedian and actor, Hollywood star, he is a champion fighting anti-Semitism right now. We want you to hear directly from him after these messages. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Most Americans know Michael Rappaport for his brilliant stand-up comedy, comedy or for his roles in such epic movies as Sully, Hitch, that's one of my favorites, The Heat. Uh, mm-hmm. He also played one of my favorite roles on the sitcom Friends, if you've got to go back to the mid-90s, but he played the cop boyfriend <laughs> for Lisa Kudrow's character, I think in the mid-90s it was. Michael's been performing on a very different stage, though, for the last few weeks, the world uh, stage, that is. He and his wife have traveled across to Israel and used their social media to highlight the horrific crimes Hamas committed on October 7th and to educate all of us about the importance of eradicating anti-Semitism throughout the world, especially here at home. Joining us right now to talk about all he's witnessed, all he's done, it's really a remarkable thing. He's an actor, he's a director, he's a comedian, he's a podcast host. He is an American hero, Michael Rappaport. Michael, great to have you on the show today, my friend. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This is amazing work you've done. I've been watching all the stuff on social media. I've heard from so many of my friends across the globe what you've done. What inspired you to do this? I mean, this is so different than stand-up comedy. You're there every day in the midst of horror trying to translate it to the American people, to the world population. A very different job for you. Um, you know, honestly, I, didn't, I, I don't have any agenda specifically when it comes to, um, you know, speaking up about, you know, uh, the, the goods, the greatness of being Jewish. Um, and I don't have any uh, agenda when it comes to speaking up about anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism. Um, you know, I had to go. I was so um, upset, so frustrated, um, and just heartbroken and continue to be heartbroken by, by what happened. And I, I, you know, we, we, we decided to go and I'm, I'm very glad that we, we went and, you know, the trip was um, very emotional. It was very, um, you know, it was, it was very, very emotional. It was very disturbing. Uh, but the people of Israel are, are 
you know, uh, their reputation precedes them as, as being special, unique, strong, uh, people. And, um, you know, I'm going to continue talking the way I talk and, 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 you know, sometimes my language is more colorful than some people <laughs> like, but when it comes to, uh, this, I feel like it's, it's, it's more necessary that, than ever. Um, I believe, um, you know, that you, 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 sometimes you have to, uh, you know, fight fire with fire and the anti-Jewishness and the anti-Israelness uh, uh, that's been going on. You know, it's just unacceptable um, the way it's been dealt with from the MITs to the UPenn to the Harvard to just to, to just, you know, the, the stuff that you're seeing on social media with people harassing Jewish people. Um, uh, you know, I don't mind protests. I don't, I, I really don't mind that. You know, that's, that's the American way. I think it's, it's the way of Israel too. Um, sure. um, but, uh, when it becomes, you know, F the Jews, F Israel, and it becomes, you know, anti, you know, just, it becomes where people are threatening and, and, you know, the, the, uh, uh you know, threatening Jewish people and threatening and, and singing, uh, little, sing, you know, little, little riddle songs about, you know, the, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free because you, you can't get from the river to the sea and back to the river without eliminating Israel. And that's just, it's not happening. It's, it's not happening. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I just had to go and, you know, I had to continue to, to speak about it and, and I will continue to speak about it. That's uh, a huge public service. Well, for the record, I think your candor and your rawness in these videos is kind of what, what, what attracts people and causes them to actually learn things that they may not have known before. Um, I wanted to ask you specifically, though, about something that you were you were just talking about, because I agree with you. I think that protesting, you know, that is a right of our First Amendment. And I do think that that people should be allowed to to speak out in voice. But my concern is that there seems to be a, a really high level of ignorance because when they say things like from the river to the sea, they don't even know the origin of that statement. And you ask them what river, what sea, and they have no idea. When, when you have these protesters out there that are spitting such vitriol, do you think that it comes from a place of ignorance or have they been brainwashed? I think the majority of it is ignorance. The majority, I could say in this country, I think uh, the majority of it is ignorance. Um, and I don't think, I don't think it's, it's brainwashing. I think uh, uh, it's, it's ignorance. It's ignorance. It's, you know, LGBTQ for Palestine is, is a ridiculous, it's a ridiculous idea. It's a r ridiculous, you know, like even to, to, to equate one with the other is just off the wall. Um, and that has to be, uh, uh, you know, just being uneducated. You know, you can't love on terrorists and, you know, listen to their thoughts and their feelings to, to make their 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 violent ways go, uh, you know, in the past. Um, they're, they're not going in the past. And, you know, what happened on the 7th uh, 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 could happen again. It could happen, in, you know, in other places. It could happen in, in other countries. And it, it, this, you know, I watched that 47 minute footage uh, uh, that, you know, uh, people have been, been able to see that media has been able to see that's been discussed. And, and uh, you know, um, I saw violence like I never thought I would see. I saw, um, quote unquote, innocent civilians, you know, kicking, stomping dead bodies. I saw uh, calculated killings. I heard cheering. I heard um, 
proud, proud, uh, proudness of the accomplishments. The, the, the one thing that I didn't hear is anything about 1948. I didn't hear anything about occupation. I didn't even hear the word Palestine come up. That those were not mentioned in those 47 minutes of footage that I saw. <laughs> That's a very good point. Um, Michael, I interviewed, maybe it's not an understatement. I probably talked about 100 people since those three university presidents, two now unemployed, gave their testimony in Congress. Nothing did justice better than the four minutes you did on Israeli comedy television when you did your little Hogwarts school. Uh, tell us a little bit. We're going to show some of the skit in the background as you're talking, but uh, a brilliant uh, uh, portrayal of the insanity of some of the answers that our higher education have been giving to excuse bigotry and hatred and ignorance and intolerance. Uh, what was the uh, inspiration for this brilliant skit? Uh, you know, to be honest, you know, they wrote it. I, I, I landed in Israel at 4.30 in the morning. Um, <laughs> they they, they um, found out I was coming. They asked me would I be a part of it. I didn't even read the script until um, the, the, when I was on the plane. I, I went back to my hotel uh, uh, with my wife. We had some coffee, took a shower, and then I shot it. And, and uh, you know, it's just, you know, lightning in a bottle with it. It was just a you know, very good, very timely script, uh, uh, skit especially because it was coming off the heels of Saturday Night Live, who I thought yeah. really dropped the ball with, uh, uh, with their portrayal of, of the situation. And, um, you know, I mean, that, that, that whole um, situation with the MIT uh, uh, woman, the, the UPenn woman and the Harvard woman, is so, it's so ridiculous. And now the Claudine Gay, uh, uh, her uh, stepping down, you know, has something, you know, people are trying to say it's racism. Well, what about uh, uh, the other one? You know, it, it's just they had the opportunity. The, the woman, I can't remember her name. She asked them over and over and over if they wanted to change their answers. Right. And they were smirking and being cute like they had sort of pre-gamed and pre-planned how they were going to do it. And she kept asking them. She kept asking them. But I guess uh, Claudine Gay, if she's not, you know, stealing from somebody else and plagiarizing somebody else, she doesn't know how to say the right thing. So they did this to themselves. They did this to themselves. There's nothing to do with racism. And I'm waiting for the, the MIT lady to, to resign or be fired. <laughs> yeah. Could be next. Uh, all right. Could be next. Since, since our conversation is sitting up on Capitol Hill, and I don't want to get too political, but obviously you made waves last November with your comments about how if the Biden administration or this administration doesn't address anti-Semitism, that voting for Trump was on the table. So I want to use that as the premise of this conversation, because for you in the Democrat Party, you know, there, there is a divide in the Democrat Party as far as how this should be handled. Do you kind of feel like you're in political no man's land? That's a good question. Um, you know, honestly, I, I, I do feel like uh, I'm in a little bit of political uh, uh, no man's land. Um, you know, I don't like how the good cop, bad cop routine between Bernie. I'm um, sorry, not Bernie. Uh, well, I was thinking about him because the <laughs> stuff he said yesterday, because he's yeah. one, one day he's, he's uh, supporting Israel. The next day he's not supporting Israel, but he, he's a crook right. anyway. And he's full of crap anyway. <laughs> um, but I don't like the good cop, bad cop routine with Kamala and, and Joe Biden, because Joe will say one thing and then Kamala will say, you know, another thing. And, 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 you know, that's what, you know, in regards to if, if, if that's no man's land, I don't like it. I see it. Other people see it. You know, I've been very open about, you know, my, my problems with Trump, but you know, everything that's going on in the last six months, 
inflation and interest rates. And I know that doesn't have anything to do with the president necessarily, but um, the anti-Semitism and the anti-Israel, I'm not supporting anybody that, that, that doesn't support Israel, period. So, you know, we got a long, a long, a long year ahead of us. It's going to be a crazy year. Hopefully it's not as violent as last year in terms of, you know, what happened in Israel. Um, I don't know who I'm going to vote for at this point, but I, I, like I said, it, I said it and I, and I mean it, you know, uh, voting for Trump is, is, is on the table now. I never thought I would say that, but it is on the table. <laughs> I know. Yeah, no, yeah. it's amazing how much October 7th changed, uh, changed so many things in this world. Being on the ground for as long as you were, and I mean, you did such a, these videos are so powerful. I've gone through a lot of them, but um, you yourself have a personal experience. I mean, we see the, the videos and we see what you're doing, but what was the most changing experience for you? Being on the ground, being with the soldiers, being with the victims and the hostages, what changed, what was the most changing moment for you in that journey? You know, it's, it's hard to say one thing in particular. Um, I, I, I spoke to this w one young man named Itamar, who was in a, a safe a safe room on the side of the road after the uh, the Nova Festival uh, for like ten or twelve hours, and he he made it out of there alive, and so did his girlfriend. But 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 everyone else was kidnapped and and uh, uh, or murdered and. It was so disturbing to see, to hear what he went through. That was really uh, <clears throat> impactful. Obviously, you know, speaking to the, the hostages family, uh, the parents, yeah. uh, the, 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 the nephews, um, and seeing, you know, what, what I saw at the kibbutz uh, Berry and Kafaraza with my own eyes, the destruction and the 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 viciousness of the destruction and the burnt built the the burnt homes because they weren't just trying to um, kill uh, 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 the people they were trying to kill the memories the existence of mm. the people they were burning homes to the ground mm. so so you know it's hard to say which one is which one is crazier than the other there was a lot of very very uh, disturbing things very disturbing things and upsetting uh, uh, things and, and heartbreaking things oh i'm sure that's michael true. before we let you go we've just got a few minutes left um you i think at 19 years old came to los angeles to pursue stand-up comedy i i personally think that comedy is kind of the last bastion of free speech and civil discourse in this country to that end you have a comedy tour you have a website where everyone can go to but tell us about your comedy tour oh i'm going to be in portland next week uh i'm performing at the helium comedy club i love doing stand-up comedy um, you know, it, it is, uh, you know, definitely, you know, hope, hopefully we can continue to have a uh, free speech on stage. You know, people get in trouble on stage all the time, but I love doing comedy. Uh, you know, you're, you're the performer, the director, you're the writer, uh, everything is on you. So as much as I love doing, uh, I love acting and I always will, you know, standup comedy is, is, is a different, uh, skill set for sure. And it's a different, um, it's just a different, uh, it's just a different mode uh, and I love doing it. And like I said, I'll be in Portland uh, next week. I'll be in Michigan. I'll be in Jersey and all tickets and all information at my shows uh, uh, is at Michael Rappaport comedy.com. Michael Rappaport comedy.com. So come out and see me live. 
<laughs> You're, you do such great stuff. You even reminded us in the middle of the, all the Israel and the tragedy. Uh, you're a great comic genius. That clip, we're going to put that clip up on social media tonight if you'll let us, because it was just so brilliantly done. It was, uh, it spoke volumes while being very funny at the same time. Michael, uh, my grandfather used to say that too much is given, much is expected. You have taken your perch and delivered to this world a great, great gift by speaking up at a moment when we needed to hear the truth. A big thank you to you on behalf of the Justin News team here. Thank you so much for doing that. I appreciate you guys having me. And, uh, you know, like I said, I'm I'm only doing it just, you know, being myself and being honest. Folks, Amber Duke, good friend of mine, great journalist, works at The Washington Spectator, calls out the media for its many foibles. She'll be with us right after these next messages. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, America. Mainstream media continues to publish a lot of obvious bias on day in and day out, whether it's the New York Times, the Associated Press, the big networks, oh my God, over and over and over again. Well, our next guest, she is, does a remarkable, remarkable job highlighting some of the insanity in the traditional news media. Amber Duke is the Washington editor of The Spectator and wrote a great book that you should get your hands on if you haven't already done it. It's called The Snowflakes Revolt. It's one of my favorite. Amber, great to have you on. Happy New Year. Uh, Wow, nothing to talk about in the media these days, right? <laughs> no, absolutely nothing. <laughs> Happy New Year to both of you. I was thinking of you a couple days ago when I saw my old employer, the Associated Press. I put two decades in there. I loved working there, but it was a different AP back in those days. Actually wrote a headline suggesting that it was conservatives' fault that uh, Harvard uh, had to fire its president because she plagiarized something we were all taught in school was a no-no. Uh, how far off has the media gotten on this story? It's unbelievable the lengths that they've gone to to try to protect Claudine Gay. That AP headline suggested that conservatives were using her plagiarism as a weapon. And there were similar headlines across the mainstream media where they talked about um, what Claudine Gay had done, which was crib quotes from other authors without attribution, but actually refused to word, use the word plagiarism entirely and tried to redefine it in other cases. Of course, a lot of members of the media, too, were trying to make this about her skin color, claiming that she was only under attack because she was black. And of course, she is mm. the second of three of those university presidents who testified to Congress and were unwilling to say that calling for the genocide of Jews is against the 
uh, the rules of campus, the campus policies, and she is uh, the the second to to leave. Um, the other one was Liz McGill from University of Pennsylvania. The MIT president who was there um, somehow still has her job. But this was a long time coming, right? There was not only this this case of her failing to condemn calling for the genocide of Jews at the congressional hearing, but then 50 plus accusations of plagiarism that are just blatantly against Harvard campus policy. So to place the blame on anyone but herself is just the latest example of how the left chooses to turn themselves into victims at every turn and refuse to take responsibility for their actions. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of people say that she was a diversity hire. I don't know if she was or not, but I do know that she checks off two very important boxes to the left. The fact that she's black and the fact that she's female. But it seems to me that there is a much more substantial reason that undergirds uh, justification of her resignation. And that is that she had a shockingly deficient body of work and publication. And with respect to the claims that the left are making that this was all about race and it's because she's black, some of the authors who she plagiarized who she didn't cite, she didn't offer any attribution, were black. How is that racist? That's a great point. And one in particular is a black conservative woman. Her name is Carol Swain. And she was really excommunicated from the academic community five, six, seven years ago because she was doing research that reached conclusions that the left didn't like. And so they treated her like persona non grata. So for Claudine Gay to then steal some of her passages and pass them off as her own, I think is especially egregious. Um, And it's, I'm sure, quite satisfying for Carol and others who defended her um, back in the day to see that this situation has come full circle and Claudine Gay is now facing accountability for that. And to your point, she did have a very thin body of work overall when she was appointed to the presidency. And it's important to remember that she is not actually leaving Harvard entirely. She is retaining a professor position. Mm -hmm. She is retaining her $900,000 a year salary. And not a single member of the Harvard board is going to be held accountable for the fact that they appointed her to this position in the first place without doing their due diligence. So this is a rot that goes much deeper than just one individual. This is a problem, not just at Harvard, but really the entire university system where we're we are consistently elevating people who are not qualified for their jobs. Yeah, that's a great point. It is. And, and the victimology part of this is so extraordinary because it's become a norm now. We normalize bad behavior by calling them a victim. Um, I've been, I would scream at the TV sometimes because I see a reporter and I want the person they're interviewing to just say something smart back. Like, hey, if you were a reporter and you lifted 50 passages, what would have happened to you? And they, of course, they would have had to say they yeah. would have got fired. But uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, <laughs> he doesn't have any problem uh, calling out reporters. I want to show this clip, get your reaction to it. Uh, he took down a Washington Post reporter pretty good the other day. Take a look at this. I'm not going to recite some catechism for you. I'm against vicious racial discrimination in this country. So I'm not pledging allegiance to your new religion of modern wokeism, which absolutely fits fits the test. I'm not going to bend the knee to your religion. I'm sorry. I'm not asking you to bend the knee to mine, and I'm not going to bend the knee to yours. But do I condemn vicious racial discrimination? Yes, I do. Am I going to play your silly game of gotcha? No, I'm not. And frankly, this is why people have lost trust. And I know you're going to go print the headline tomorrow. I already know this. We already know how your game works. Vivek Ramaswamy refuses to condemn white supremacy because you asked a stupid question. The reality is I condemn vicious racial discrimination in this country, but the kind of vicious and systematic racial discrimination we see today 
is discrimination on the basis of race in a very different direction. You know, I think Vivek picks up something very important, which is distrust in media really is an all-time high. And, and I think people are starting to catch on to these games. Uh, your reaction to the takedown? I thought it was brilliant. And he called out the media for exactly what they do, which is they play this game of you have to condemn this thing that I say is bad. And I'm not even going to define it for you. But if you give the wrong answer, then you're public enemy number one and we're going to trash you in our headlines. I mean, that really is what they do. They tried to do it to former President Donald Trump repeatedly over what happened in Charlottesville because right. they didn't like the way that he refused to condemn people who were protesting against the removal of the Robert E. Lee statue. He, of course, did condemn the white supremacists who were there that weekend, but they thought they said that he didn't go far enough just by condemning them. They wanted him to condemn everyone who was in Charlottesville on I guess, the right side of the aisle, if you could even put it that way. Uh, Joe Biden started his campaign running on the lie that Trump failed to condemn white supremacy. So for The Washington Post to turn around and ask that same exact question to Vivek Ramaswamy, I think, made very clear what their intentions were. And it's not to prove that he is or isn't a racist, but it's to play a gotcha game where they can get a nice headline out of it and make him look like a bad guy. The work you do every day really has exposed, Ember, um, the silliness in our profession. Our profession has a noble cause when it's done right. But in the last two decades, it has gone astray in so many ways. Your work every day and your book, I think, are the ultimate Bible of what's wrong and how we fix it. So thank you for all you do to highlight the insanity. And hopefully one day we'll get this profession fixed. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. Zachary Marshall is going to be here right after these next messages. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hello, America. Welcome back. Now, let's turn our attention to the other big news that happened this week. Harvard President Claudine Gay resigned yesterday after a tumultuous six months and two days on the job. The shortest tenure ever in the history of Harvard for a president. People want Harvard's board of trustees fired, too. There's a lot of pressure going on, particularly as Americans begin to absorb the amount of anti-Semitism intolerance and hate that is going on in American campuses. Zachary Marshall is the editor-in-chief of the Leadership Institute's Campus Reform, uh, and he can, uh, he's here to join and talk about all these big developments. Zachary, this has been a consequential week. I think a lot of people were asking, when will there be some accountability between UPenn and Harvard? We got some accountability now. Yeah, yeah thank you for having me back on. I think uh, this is the beginning of the end for DEI, and I'm actually very, very bullish uh, for 2024 when it comes to higher education and restoring traditional values. We are seeing um, as we've said, you know, for weeks now, campus reform that the only way to fix higher education is from the outside. We are seeing donors 
alumni and parents put pressure on these elite institutions. The presidents at uh, UPenn and Harvard are gone. This is how change gets affected. Uh, there's rot is so deep within universities that we have to keep the pressure up to hold people accountable and to make sure that we cannot excuse you know 30 years of plagiarism like the Harvard Corporation is trying to do with Claudine. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And Zachary, I think that a lot of people feel like like Claudine Gay stepping mm. down. Obviously, that was she she was the tip of the spear. But you had boards who are supporting mm. them. Obviously, each of these university presidents yeah. have a support system around them. But boards of trustees who supported people like Claudine Gay, uh, maybe they should be on the chopping block next. Oh, absolutely. I think people have to take a serious look at the Harvard Corporation. Uh, it's an eleven-person board, two of which were personal political appointees in the Barack Obama administration, and Obama lobbied them uh, right after the congressional hearing to help uh, Gay keep her job. I mean, the inside politics in higher education runs deep. You have to look at the boards, you have to look at the leftist donors, and you have to look at the network of scholars um, that are part of this hierarchy of DEI professionals that Gay is a part of. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Zachary, I want to ask about two separate uh, plagiarism mm. cases six months apart, right? The Stanford president resigns back in the summer mm. and he gets a scolding and they, they treat it very seriously, which is, hey, yeah. he should have properly attributed. Uh, 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 president Gay does the exact same thing at Harvard and they're trying to make excuses. They were doing backflips yesterday to suggest that maybe she was a victim. Why, yeah. the, different, why the difference in treatment? And is there a danger in the way Harvard d dealt with it and sending the wrong message to students about intellectual property protection? Yeah, all you have to do is look in the mirror to understand the differences. The difference is race and gender here. DEI is the new system for inequality in higher education, and it's bleeding into our workforce, too, as we see companies pull back from hiring, pe from hiring people with four-year degrees because they know that what's being taught on campuses is that as long as you are the so-called correct gender, the so-called correct ethnicity, then you can kind of make it up as you go along. You don't have to be honest, like everyone but Claudine Gay has to be honest. You don't have to uphold yourself and say, you know, rigorous standards that everyone else does. In her resignation letter, she said, you know, to accuse me of plagiarism is racism. That itself is racist. So what we're seeing here is that these DEI um, hacks are trying to, you know, have it all ways. They want to accuse everyone of being white supremacists, but then, then they, you know, try and tell America that um, it's, you know, you're acting white if you are trying to be the best person you can be. So this just shows, you know, how insidious the lie about DEI is and has been for years. Uh, great point. Yeah. Zachary, I wanted to ask you about things on the funding side. Um, you had mm -hmm. Vermont Senator, Democrat, Jewish, Bernie Sanders bemoaning a possible $10 billion in aid to Israel because it's funding uh, Israel's immoral war. And I just think to myself, you know, hearing hearing stories about Israeli women being pulled out of cars by their hair, being sexually assaulted and then being beheaded. I would think that fighting against that level of evil is is actually a moral war, not immoral. It's completely a moral, moral war, and this has been a moment of reckoning for the Jewish left. I am Jewish myself, so I feel very comfortable saying this on TV. But, you know, for the last three months, uh, liberal Jews in America have had to confront the hypocrisy that their side has when it comes to 
protecting and upholding uh, safety for Jews and combating anti-Semitism. The left thinks, you know, we should protect all minorities except Jews, that Jews should be able to tolerate adversity because they, we are somehow, you know, don't deserve um, to be safe and we don't deserve to d defend ourselves. So Bernie Sanders right now is trying to, you know, probably curry favor with his side with AOC and the squad um, in coming out with this position. Um, it's something that we are seeing, you know, the left is in denial about how far entrenched their anti-Semitism is. The great point. Uh, Zachary, I want to uh, uh, talk about a part of the name that you have, Reform. Campus Reform has mm -hmm. done so yeah. much amazing work to not only expose what's wrong, but try to push the pre uh, pressure towards reforms that will make college education or secondary education more uh, meaningful and less indoctrinating. What are mm -hmm. some of the key reforms, now that there's momentum, now that the trustees, the donors, the parents are in uh, engaged on this, what are some of the reforms that will create lasting effect? And is there a movement to start to create professional schools that get rid of the traditional liberal arts uh, college education, but give people skill sets for the jobs that maybe without some of this indoctrination. Yeah, we have had those, you know, we have vocational schools, we have community colleges, we have um, alternatives to four-year degree institutions, and I think more Americans need to look at that. Part of the problem is that this, you know, double standard and, you know, Orwellian lie the left keeps telling Americans that, you don't have to go to college to be successful, but then everyone should go to college and get a humanities degree in something like gender studies. Um, you know, that it doesn't serve anyone anything. So there are already alternatives that exist, and the answer that we need to pursue now, now that we, America is now paying attention to the problem, it's not a sexy solution, but it is what's gonna get the um, biggest results is go after the administrators, go after the department chairs, and go after the deans. These are the people that have orchestrated and designed the hiring and promotion um, criteria and the processes that get people like Claudine Gay into uh, the president's office and keep her $900,000 salary. The only way we're gonna be able to restore uh, liberal education, to restore Western civilizations, uh, values on virtue, on truth, and education is if we get rid of the people who have um, hired radical Marxists for the last two generations and allowed higher education to become an American-hating institution. Yeah. Real quick, we only got about 20 seconds left. Uh, for people who want to get involved with campus reform, what's the best way to engage, Zachary? Go to campusreform.org. If you're a college student, sign up to become a correspondent and help expose liberal bias on your campus or any other campus in the United States. Uh, if you know what's going on, but you're afraid to speak up, send us an anonymous tip. All right, folks, one more good one to go. Roger Simon, great journalist, been in the business for a long time, great screenwriter in Hollywood. He has a new book out on American refugees. Yes, Americans fleeing their own insanity in California, New York, and other blue states, moving to Texas and Tennessee and Florida, where freedom and free markets and avoidance of social engineering are going on. The red to blue migration flight is very real. It's clear in the census data. Roger Simon's going to explain it all to us in the final block of today's show. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. 
but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Welcome back. Now we're going to turn to a very fun subject, something you probably haven't thought about, but we have a lot of economic refugees in America who are Americans. Our next uh, guest wrote a wonderful book. Roger Simon is an award-winning novelist, an Oscar-nominated screenwriter, and the author of his newest book called American Refugees, The Untold Story of the Mass Exodus from Blue States to Red States. And he joins us right now. Roger, great to see you. Happy New Year. Congratulations on a brilliant piece of work. Well, thank you very much, and happy new to you. Uh, you know, in your introduction, you say economic refugees, but that's only partly true. And that's true. A lot of the people were ideological refugees. I, I was that, and I was not alone. As a matter of fact, one of the interesting things that uh, I discovered, and I write about extensively in the book, is that the assumption of people in places like Tennessee and Texas and so forth is that those of us who are coming from California or New York, uh, we're going to bring our awful liberal values with us. And it turned out to be oddly opposite in many cases, meaning that those of us who bothered to make this incredibly long trek and change our lives we're just trying to save on taxes. We were doing it because we were constitutionalists who were kind of fed up with where we were living. And we were a little disappointed in some cases about where we arrived. Uh, because we thought we were coming to red state nirvana. And it turns out they weren't exactly nirvana. I mean, they're good and bad things. And I, I discuss a number of states, may, mainly Tennessee, because I'm a write-what-you-know guy, but I also talk about uh, Texas and Florida and Georgia. Georgia has a lot of problems. And so it's, it's an interesting conundrum. And the refugees formed a kind of cavalry in a little bit of a way to uh, save the red states from themselves. And in that sense, save the country. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. Well, Roger, I thank you because you've paved the way for Californians like me to hopefully get out of this godforsaken <laughs> state in the offing. But I wanted to ask you about, specifically about folks. You know, I, I have a very uh, what I think is a real concern about uh, some folks who are moving to red states, specifically Texas. There are a number of tech companies from Silicon Valley who have uprooted and gone to Texas and they've gone there for economic reasons, but they're taking their employees who are dyed in the world Democrats, crazy California liberals, and they're taking that to Texas. Um, is, is there a possibility, is there a silver lining that maybe once they get there, they'll see how good things are and they'll change their ways? Good question. And I, you know, I talk about this a bit in the book. The, the, the truth of the matter is that these states are different. 
Uh, and Texas has got a, the problem of of just what you say, the high tech people are jumping in there more, much more than they are in in Tennessee or Florida, even though there's elements of it both in both states. But but the, it, Texas has the, that problem. Uh, or now the question that you raise is, will they wise up to the fact that they're in a place that's better? Well, I think some will and some won't. That's human nature. But 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 what you know what what's incumbent on those of us who have made these moves is to say, hey, welcome. But take a look. You know, years ago, my friend Glenn Reynolds was going to start a a welcome wagon here in Tennessee. You know, the the Instapundit, and uh, I talked him out of it because I said, hey, wait a minute, it may be the other way around. The people coming to Tennessee are. Are, are, are more constitutionalists than the people that are here. But uh, you, we're still battling that one out. Yeah, that's <laughs> really true. It is. Uh, Roger, I want to ask about the, how different the visions are between blue and red states. If anyone who watched the uh, DeSantis-Newsom debate or just look at the difference between the Republican and Democratic Party, it's almost as though they have two very different ideas of America. But last year, Marjorie Taylor Greene suggested maybe at some point we're just going to divorce. We're going to break into the red and blue United States of America. Is these are these conflicts, are these difference in visions so extreme that there isn't a resolution to them? Or do you think the pendulum swings back? I, I, you know, it, I have to tell you, it depends on the day how I answer that. And I say that in the book, too. I mean, because uh, I, there's a character in the book named Rocky Top, who is an anonymous character, but is a real person, but he doesn't want to be uh, exposed. He's a blogger. He uh, um, was a advisor to presidents. So he's an advisor to to Tennessee um, governors, etc. So he knows where all the bodies are buried. So we would on endlessly discuss whether there will be a separation of the states, as you say, or even civil war, which, you know, uh, I play tennis every day at a club, which is uh, the, where the golf course is the Battle of Nashville. And so I'm reminded every day of what could happen in this country. Yeah. Do I want civil war? Of course not. On the other hand, uh, sometimes I want separation. Uh, but how do we manage the separation when all of these states have blue cities and red countryside? Amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Nashville and the fact of it being a blue city, because I believe it's been at least 100 years since the city of Nashville elected a Republican mayor. And yet Nashville does seem to still have some common sense policies, not with respect to real estate, because real estate there is exploding. Uh, but is yeah. that the answer? Finding Democrats within red states and finding Republicans within blue states who kind of even things out? It could help. I mean, in, in truth, you know, I, I've i lived in Nashville now five years, and um, oh, I live in a park south of the city, which is a well, you know, a well-to-do suburb. So the further south you go, into Franklin and so forth, it becomes red. But this mm -hmm. whole area is metropolitan Nashville, basically. And you can see the whole thing being battled out within this, you know, uh, two counties here, uh, Davidson, which is Nashville, and Williamson, which is, uh, which is Franklin. Franklin has become one of the more popular places in the country for conservatives who of a certain uh, economic status to move to. And, and of course, all the politicians are here all the time, all the presidential candidates looking for cash because Williamson County is, uh, it was 
said to be, I don't know if it's true anymore, but it's close, the wealthiest Republican county in the country, if you can believe that. Amazing. I'm about five miles from it. I wish they'd lend me some of their money. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the Sunday brunch edition. In fact, a big thank you to Victoria Coates, Michael Rappaport, Amber Duke, and Roger Simon. What a lineup. That's a great lineup. So grateful for all of the firepower, intellectual thought leadership brought today. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. We'll be back tomorrow with regular programming. Until then, God bless you and have a great night. You've been listening to John Solomon Reports, just in case you didn't know, the podcast from Just the News. God bless you. Good night. We'll be back tomorrow.